and welcome everyone to the Far Shore. I'm James. Hey everybody, hope you're well. I'm Andy. It's uh, good to be back, James, as always. It is good to be back. Uh, and Andy, I think I am approaching today's podcast with a bit of trepidation, I'll be honest. Oh, why is that? <laughs> I think it's because of our interview today. It's a, it's an excellent interview, um, but it's it's a real kind of hard-hitting interview too. It's kind of a Pulitzer winning, is it a Pulitzer? Pulitzer, <laughs> Pulitzer <laughs> Prize winning interview. Uh, no, it's just a really interesting interview today, and I think it's a really current topic. Mm, um, yeah. And so I think in that way, I'm, I think the subject that we're talking about, which is the subject of Israel and Palestine, I think mm. it's a subject that I feel very underqualified uh, yeah. to, to talk about. And especially after listening to the interview uh, today, I, it was funny, I was driving back um, from uh, a town away from where I live. I was going to mention it, but no one knows where anything is in California, so that's fine. Um, it wasn't LA, which is you know, San Francisco. But anyway, I was driving back and listening to this interview. And I have to say, as I got home, I was like, I wish my drive was longer. Um, you know, I was desperate to listen to the end of it. And I got to, um, and all the way through the interview, I kept being like, man, I wish I was there to ask more questions or say, hey, could you talk a little bit more about this? Mm, um, yeah. I think it just showed there was lots of areas in which I... I just didn't, you know, fully understand the situation. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right, James. And and I think everyone's aware of of, of the recent happenings in in Israel and and in the Middle East. And it's something definitely that we are not very qualified at all to to comment on. But I suppose the reason why we we wanted to do a pod on Israel and Palestine is that I think both of us have have identified in sometimes either a, a subconscious bias or a very explicit conscious bias uh, towards uh, Israel and uh, in all that is happening in the Middle East. And some people uh, think that is, is correct because of passages in the Bible. Um, but I think um, something that we have to be very aware of is, is what is happening on, on the other side, and especially amongst uh, Christians. And I think sometimes people, when they imagine and think of Palestine, especially if you haven't been to the area and you're an American or you're a Brit, uh, just in your own home, in your own church, um, just listening to things on the media, um, you might uh, jump to the conclusion that Palestine is just a, a territory of terrorism and and Muslims and 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 therefore perhaps Israel is is correct in in doing what it is it is doing, um, but I think we forget and fail to understand the history of the place and actually that there was a very or was a very strong uh, Christian community in Palestine, and so today we have uh, a friend of mine, uh, he is a. Uh, Palestinian Christian, a guy called uh, Tanas, and and yeah, I introduce him in in the intro, so I won't I won't bother introducing him now. So I would just really encourage our listeners to to, to really listen with an open open heart, open mind um, to what one of our own brothers and sisters, um, some of his experiences, and and perhaps to reflect on 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 what our words um, are. Are, are perhaps saying and portraying uh, to yeah. other to other people, mm -hmm. and I think you know one of the aims of this podcast has always been to generate discussion. Um, you know, I hopefully me and Andy are not coming across saying, "Hey, this is how people should think." This podcast is about just introducing ideas, introducing questions, um, getting people to hopefully think or reflect on on their views and things. One of the things about today's interview as well is that we made a decision. Uh, recently, we, if you listen to the interview I had with Dave, it was a, a long interview, so we, we, we split it up. Um, but this interview, we we're going to do the same again, uh, but we felt like when you split it up, it kind of lost, lost steam uh, on the conversation because a lot of it interplays with each other. And if we only had half of it today and the second half next week, I think people would lose uh, some of that, that discussion. So uh, right. sit down, the interview's about... 55 minutes long 
Um, just to warn you ahead of time, as I said, I couldn't put it down, um, but let's get into it now. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, today on the Far Shore, it is my great pleasure uh, to have uh, a friend of ours uh, with us today, uh, Tanas Alcasis. Uh, Tanas, uh, he is a Palestinian and has uh, worked for, for many years uh, in the area with, with World Vision, uh, setting up uh, the office in Jerusalem and also in Romania. Uh, he's involved in a ministry of reconciliation uh, called uh, Masala, uh, which is really, really important. Uh, he's also the chair of the Board of Trustees at Bethlehem Bible College. And I have uh, the great privilege, actually, of, of having Tanas uh, on my team, or I, I will have him on my team when I actually start <laughs> in September at uh, the Church Mission Society, where Tanas, uh, he leads our, our mission, mission work throughout Europe, the Middle East, and North Africa. And in his downtime, you might find Tanas hurtling around uh, the, the British countryside roads on his Harley Davidson as part of uh, the Christian Motorcyclists Association. So after all of that, Tenas, it's, it's great to have you on the pod. Welcome. Thank you. It's really wonderful to be here. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. It's, it's great to have you, uh, Tenas. Um, today, we're going to get into, um, well, a situation which is very uh, pertinent at the moment. It's very prominent. Um, the whole situation in the Middle East, um, everything, everything that's happening with Israel and, and Palestine. Um, obviously, we know it's been, been an, a very age-old problem, um, but just recently, uh, things have flared up again. Um, and so it's, it's great to have you, Tanas, as a, as a Palestinian Christian. Uh, you are more than, than qualified to, to talk to us uh, today about everything that is happening in the area. So today we're going to get into, into a little bit of a history lesson about, uh, about what is happening in the Middle East. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about sometimes the current Christian response to the area, which is perhaps not very uh, helpful uh, to our brothers and sisters in Palestine. Um, we're going to get into a little bit about Zionism um, and hopefully we're going to end on a, a bit of a positive note and talk a little bit about how, how uh, uh, what should we as Christians, what should be our, our, our response uh, to what is happening in, in the area. Uh, so do settle down our listeners uh, and, and get ready for this conversation. We might spill over into next week's podcast, but that is fine. Uh, but Tanas, perhaps before we get into all of that, why don't you tell us a little bit about, about, about your story? How, how was it growing up in Palestine, working there? And, and how did you end up uh, working for, for CMS uh, in, in the UK? Um, yeah, sure, that'd be great. Um, so to start, my, my family, uh, when we trace the, the, the DNA, let's say, of the family and see where we actually fit, uh, the last... Uh, great 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 grandfather we could find was in the 1800s uh, and he was lost uh, in turkey with the ottoman empire um so you're talking about a long time ago and um i come from a family my, my last name is al-qasis i actually have two one called khuri and the other one al-qasis khuri mean a priest al-qasis mean vicar or a pastor and the reason i have them because um, my grandfather was a priest and his father was a priest and his father was a priest in the orthodox church so it goes back long, long way. And then two of my uncles were priests. Now, how my name happened and changed it all because of fours and, and, and who did the census and all that, it make life not easy. Uh, but yeah, my, my grandfather, uh, I never met any of them, uh, my grandfathers, but um, in 1948, he was actually the uh, Orthodox priest in Jaffa, the Orthodox Church in Jaffa. And uh, I remember my grandmother, who lived to uh, 90 year old, 94 years old, uh, she used to tell us the story. And she remembered in 1948 when the Israeli came in, she said, your grandfather came home and said, we need to go, we need to run. And he put everybody in a truck, left everything behind, and they drove from uh, Tel Aviv to uh, 
to uh, Betsahur, the shepherd field. And there he, uh, they planted a big tree still existed there, and then they have a few caves, and they put a tent, and they dug a well, and that became uh, our home. He had uh, about, um, well, living children, he had about 10, two died when they were kids and uh, from diseases and everything. And uh, so that's how they started the life in, in Beit Sahur. So it's a long history of people living there, owning land. Of course, we did lose uh, some of our land, partly because when Israel came in, a lot of Palestinians gave their land back to the church and um, they didn't get it back. <laughs> so, so that's sadly part of the problem too. Mm. Um, but yeah, but I grew up in a family who are Greek Orthodox um, um, I remember my dad, uh, you know, just trying to make a living because they couldn't get education. Uh, but luckily he did. Uh, in 1974, we were able to start building our own home. And since I was born, I grew up under occupation. We had soldiers coming to our schools, patrolling our streets. Um, you always feel them. Uh, because that was the thing, uh, you know, most of kids would go play, uh, you know, cowboy and Indian. We played Palestinian and Israeli soldiers um, uh, because life wasn't very easy. At, at, you know, we have a lot of limited freedom. Our education was actually also run by the Israeli. And there's things you were not allowed to do, things like even having a shirt with a Palestinian flag color or an olive tree or anything like that. So, to travel, you have to go through security more than anybody else. I usually call it the VIP treatment, very important Palestinian. Uh, so you get escorted to the airplane. Uh, yeah, it, it was a strange life in one sense, to just not having that freedom. And I, when I was 16 years old, I started to go to university, and um, the university I went to was closed down because they said we're doing problems. So there's really close the university down. And um, so I just wanted to get out and be able to uh, study. And, and I luckily, uh, through missionaries and um, scholarship, I was able to go to the U.S. to study. Mm. And then you discover a new world, a new world of freedom, where you could do anything you want. You don't have to worry. The police are not your enemy. The soldiers are not your enemy. Uh, uh, you know, just from, from living in the country. It, it's... I mean, I'm I'm fifty something now, and every time I go to the airport uh, and you hear the announcement, I still feel they're gonna call me because I'm Palestinian. Uh, mm. You know, I'm I'm one of those lucky person who always I'm one of the million that they get checked out. Uh, you know, I randomly checked out. Um, you get randomly checked about five times in a row, right? Those yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting, though. Yeah, you, you know. Uh, and it's that fear to get rid of that fear. It takes really a long time uh, because you're always told you're kind of bad and, and, and you're not a good person. And, and um, it's really sad because it affects a lot of people and, and people in under occupation, uh, they lose hope. Um, they, they, they lose uh, hope in the whole system. But thankfully, most of the Palestinian, I would say, very hopeful people. You know, we always, if you ask somebody, something they'll say, inshallah, which means if God's willing. Mm. Always like that. There's always God in, into it. You ask somebody, how are you doing? They say, alhamdulillah, thank be to God. Uh, it, it just, this is the way of life uh, in the Palestinian community. I'm talking about both Muslim and Christian. We use the same words yeah. uh, when we're talking about how we're doing and how life is. So, yeah, I grew up in a family with uh, two brothers um, and my mom and dad, of course. And um, um, one of my brothers uh, went to the state to study, too. And uh, sadly, he couldn't come back because the Israeli took his uh, travel document away. Because as many Palestinians, we did not have passport before 1993. We had a travel document and the travel document was for one year. And when my brother went to study, they just refused to renew his travel document. So he had to stay in the U.S., um, but 10 years later, uh, he was able to visit, um, uh, even as an American citizen, and they gave him a very much hard time. Uh, so this is the, the reality of the diaspora uh, and how people left. Now, um, as, uh, as you mentioned, Andy, I worked with World Vision for a while. I worked with the Bethlehem Bible College. Actually, my first job was with the Bethlehem Bible College, then I worked with the World Vision, went to Romania, came back. Uh, my wife is Danish. 
And so when when we got married, uh, it was very difficult to get my wife to stay in the country because um, I remember going to the Israeli military because we had to deal only with military and ask them for a visa for my wife to stay at my own home, my own country. And and the person there, I still remember his name, is Captain Colin. He is actually British Jew and he was serving in the army there. And, and he said, well, just leave, go to Denmark. And, um, you know, just remember these things that really gets to you. And you, um, can't even, you can't even take your wife to live in your own homeland, in your own home. No. And this is just one case. And I'm, I'm Palestinian. There is actually Palestinian with Israeli citizenship facing the same problem if they marry somebody from uh, another country or even from the Palestinian area. They still don't yeah. give them a residency stay that easy. They only give them a permit, a temporary permit. So uh, luckily, my wife was able to get a visa through her work. And so we were there that way, and she could move back and forth. Uh, and then the situation got really bad um, in 2005, 2006. I couldn't get a permit to go to work. And so we started praying about it. Because I really loved my country. I wanted to serve. I felt this is what God wanted me to do, wanted me to serve the, uh, my own people. And uh, CMS um, uh, came up where they were looking for somebody. So we prayed about it. said, oh, let's give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And you know what? When God wants you somewhere, it just works. And so we ended up being in the UK in 2007. Mm-hmm. So that kind of gives you a summary of the story, how I, I got <laughs> to the UK. No, it's, it's amazing, Tanas, and it's great to hear your, your own personal experience of, of living under occupation, as you as you said it. And now, now you mentioned some dates there, Tanas. You said 1948 in Israel. And, and I think it's time for a little, perhaps a little brief history lesson of the Middle East. Um, as a Speaking as a British uh, man, British Christian, um, I for one wasn't taught anything uh, in British school about Israel and Palestine and what was happening in the Middle East. And Britain has a has a huge hand in what happened around 1948. Um, And I suppose as well, the kind of education, the kind of informal education that we just kind of picked up, you know, by listening to the news or even within Christian circles, that Palestine was the enemy and Israel are the good guys. And and Israel have, have always existed, haven't they? You know, the, the Bible talks about Israel and, and the land. And, and so obviously the Palestinians are, you know, are causing trouble in Israel's land, uh, as it were. And even, I'm really pleased that you spoke some Arabic with us, because even sometimes I, I hear fellow Christians, when they hear Arabic, they link it directly to Islam or Muslims and for what to what they perceive as the enemy which is obviously not the case and salam alaikum uh, uh, <laughs> which is uh, yeah peace peace be with you my friend yeah um, uh, Arabic is a, is a beautiful language anyway we so I'm digressing a little bit but um but perhaps could, could you give us a bit of um, a history lesson uh, Tanas what what happened in the sure. Middle East, and especially, why did you mention 1948? What happened in 1948? Well, if, if you ask Palestinian about two things they'll always remember, and they will tell you Balfour Declaration, 1917, mm-hmm. and of course, 1922, and then uh, 1948. Uh, the, the Balfour Declaration, now I understand the area was under the Ottoman Empire, and we know that. So that's always been conflict in this area. And, and, and the Western world wanted to get rid of them. At the same time, we had all the problem happening with the Holocaust and, and the, the Jewish people being really persecuted in the West, and they needed to find a home. And uh, when all these problems happened, you know, uh, England, or uh, we were under the British mandate. So Balfour came with an idea to, to actually give a homeland to, to the uh, uh, Jews to, uh, to Palestine. Now, of course, if you read before history, there was one about, the, they thought about uh, Canada and Uganda, 
But of course, Herzl at that time, and they wanted, um, they felt this is what uh, God wanted them to do. So they said, we'll go to, uh, to Palestine. Um, you know, it's, it's a long history, but in, in 1948, uh, now there was a war, of course, 1947, but 1948, the United Nations actually uh, declared Palestine, uh, Palestine as a homeland for Israel and recognized Israel as a state. Um, now, if, if you, the problem what happened is this. Now, when the, when the Israeli came in or the Jewish people came in, the Palestinians actually welcomed them. And I'm sure many of you watched the movie Exodus, uh, what talk about the history of people coming in. Now, in it, there are some really good facts about how the Palestinians welcomed them in, and there were some problems, but still they were welcoming them in. And I had many of my Jewish friends who were born a long time ago, they would tell you we were born in Palestine, and actually it's written on their uh, document. Uh, but what happened is, and in the Belfort Declaration, they recognized there were 700,000 other Arabs in there, but they say, well, as long as they do not mess with the 700,000 Arabs there. But actually, in reality, that did not happen. Uh, because uh, once Israel was declared as a state by the United Nations, once uh, things start coming in, of course, the, uh, Europe had all the guilt of what happened in the Holocaust. The U.S. had a lot of interest in, in them, so they wanted to expand. And... Uh, and 1948, uh, you know, a lot of uh, things happened, such as the ethnic cleansing of many of the villages. And, and there's a good book by Ilan Papa. He's a, a professor, an Israeli professor, called The Ethnic Cleansing in Palestine. It gives you actually the whole history and how many villages were destroyed and, and completely finished. Um, and, and there's so many stories about it, you know, taking some of the Palestinians in, in, the, in the Jerusalem in the Musrara area, which is the center. Al Musrara was the big marketplace and having loudspeakers say, if, if you don't leave your home, this is what will happen to you. You get killed. And that's the reason a lot of people escaped and ran away. So England gave something that did not belong to them, somebody else. Um, because they did not actually, sadly to say, they did not want them to settle in Europe, so they they sent them to to uh, to Palestine, and uh, and the Palestinian kind of lost their homes. Now, uh, you know, there's a lot of statements say it was a, a land without a people, and to get given to people without a land, which is not really true because. My grandfather and his father and his father were living there. We had land, we had houses. And the thing that people do not understand about the way Palestinians were, you may have your house in one section, your land may be about 15 minutes later, uh, far away where you plant. So that was their land. And when people, when Israeli came in, they just took it over, which is, you know, that doesn't work. Mm. Now the Arab world, of course, got upset and they wanted to help and they went to fight against Israel. But Israel had a lot of backing from England, from France, from America, and their world were not very strong uh, to do anything. So, uh, so of course, we lost the war, and that's what happened. And then 1948, they were declared a state. And the Palestinians were recognized as that they are under occupation. And, uh, you know, the, the Palestinian no resolution 242, that uh, all the refugees should go back. Um, because that's what the United Nations said. So the same United Nations that recognized the state also put all these things for, uh, against the occupation, saying we shouldn't have occupation, it should finish, people should go back to their homes, and they should come back to 1967 border. Now, in 1967 border, which is uh, the war happened again between the Jordan, Syria, and, and Israel, and uh, <laughs> this is what a lot of Christians sadly would say, it was God's plan for this to happen, and, and, and God was into it because they won the whole thing in six days. Well, the reality is that they were not by, by themselves. They had a lot of backing again from uh, U.S., France, uh, America, uh, U.K., and so it was very easy to win that war. And, and that's where they got the Golan Heights and the Sinai, and, of course, the rest of the West Bank which at that time was under Jordan. So, so that's what happened in 1967. And now I was born just uh, 1968. Mm. So, I, and my mom and dad, when they, got, when they got married, they got married in a cave because they got married in 1967 when the war was going. And in 1960, I was born in a cave up where my house is. So it's very interesting, uh, you know, these things, because sadly that's how, how was the, the situation.
And there was a lot of hopes that we will have peace and things will work out, but uh, it just did not. So, so that's really kind of give you a summary. I mean, it's a bigger history and all these th- things that happen, but in reality, the occupation is something that was actually written about by many countries, recognized by many, by many countries still. Even in the UK, sometimes you say, when I try to find where I belong, they say Palestinian uh, occupied territories. But they're trying to actually ignore it in a lot of uh, areas. Um, so, so we don't exist in one sense. Yeah. And um, I know we were accepted in the United Nations as a state, as a recognized state, but now we're still waiting for other countries to recognize us. They recognize our passports as Palestinian, but still not state. And, and, and this is the whole argument when, when uh, in any television talk, they say Israel have the right to protect itself, but the Palestinians have no right to protect themselves. Why? Mm. Uh, and, and that's the sad part of, uh, of the whole situation. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, well <laughs> yeah, extremely interesting Tanas, to and, and saddening as well to hear, uh, to hear all that. Yeah. Thanks for the, the history lesson. Um, uh, but yes. if you, yeah, let me just explain. So what happened, people living under occupation since 67 and things were moving okay in one, in one sense. But then because of the lack of freedom, the oppression of the occupation uh, and, and the dehumanization of, of the people, there was a lot of struggle. So 1986, uh, it happened when, when somebody saw, filmed the soldier putting somebody on the ground and taking a rock and breaking their arm. And that's when the first uprising started. People were getting tired of it. So that's where we started the first Intifada. Intifada means to shake off. People just were tired of the way they are. And they wanted to have a normal life. They want to have their own state, their own government, their own um, uh, way of running things. And then, of course, that, uh, that was really valuable. Both sides both side lost a lot of lives. And then, again, we had the second intifada in 1999, 2000, uh, and, and moved on. So these events have created a lot of extremism in both sides, mm-hmm. yeah. even more than ever. So a lot of people always ask the question, well, why you have the radicals? Well, the radicals only come when you lose hope, when you feel there's no way out, and they and they they just come out because they have nothing to lose anymore. Yeah. So that's how things happen. And and then when we had the peace talk and the peace started, it actually we gained less. <laughs> we lost a lot, put it this way, than actually gained because settlements still still are being built. On daily basis, so a lot of land, the Palestinian land, were taken away. A lot of road were taken away. We're allowed to go on this road, but we're not allowed to go on that road. We we need to have permits to go to Jerusalem. We have to get permit to go around to Ramallah. So if I want to go visit somebody in Ramallah, instead of taking me forty-five minutes, it may take me three hours or four hours, depend on the checkpoint. So these are affected the situation of the people. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you gave us a little bit of a, um, an insight in, into how, how difficult it is to travel at the moment in, in, in Israel and in Palestine. I visited many years ago, I think it was 2005 time, I think I visited uh, Israel and, and we wanted to go to Bethlehem and, and to get to Bethlehem, you have to go through a massive wall because obviously Bethlehem is in... In not you know in the Palestinian territory and um, and it was okay for us to get in because we had British passports but um, when we got in to the other side of the wall and we visited Bethlehem I remember we 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 met lots of uh, Palestinians and like you said Palestinians are so hospitable and my father speaks Arabic and so because of his Arabic we were welcomed with open arms and uh, had lots of of tea, tea. Uh, with, with, with the Palestinians. And, and I remember sat outside uh, the Church of the Nativity in the square there in, in Bethlehem, where, where obviously it's the site where they think Jesus was born, um, talking with Palestinians who are not allowed to leave. They can't get through that wall. I could, yeah. but they, they, they couldn't. And I think, I suppose to us, Lots of people now, and people, especially within the Christian church, they would probably, the first thing that comes into their mind when they think of Palestine is, is Hamas. They would think of 
of Palestinians are terrorists and Israel are the kind of the victims here. They're the ones who are being, you know, being harassed by all of these Palestinian terrorists. And but like you, you like you said, you know, there's radicals on both sides, and it comes from a lack of hope and the, the oppression of the Palestinian people. But something that I would like to clear up for our listeners is that there are lots of Palestinian Christians as well. And could you give us a little bit of an idea of the of, of how the church is in Palestine and in the, the church in the Arab world? Yeah, um, uh, I mean, as I said in the beginning, if we go back in my family, we go back to the 1800s and uh, that's Christian present in the land. I mean, the Christian present in the land been since Jesus' time. Yeah. And even, you know, you mentioned language. When the, we are in the Pentecost week now. And when the Pentecost happened, one of the languages was actually Arabic. It wasn't English, it wasn't French, it wasn't Deutsch, it was Arabic. And so the origin are Arabic. We are actually Semite Arabic Christian people. And, and the land was full of them. Uh, mm. So we were there. So the church been there so many, many years. The history of the church in the land is just amazing just to look at uh, uh, generation after generation, uh, even some of the houses, the names on them, the crosses, go for, you know, 1800, you still exist. And that show you that they were there. Now, mm. it used to be over 35% of the population of Christian. Now, because, we, we, you know, we went through the, the Crusades, we went through the Ottoman Empire, there was uh, the British Mandate, so there were a lot of changes demographically. Uh, in Chile, you'll find more Christian uh, in Chile from my hometown than we have in my hometown. Wow. In Salvador, in Brazil, in Peru, in Mexico, um, a lot of them left in 1948, and they stayed, and they became well, you know, well known. I could name some of the richest people in the world uh, that are there. Uh, the Palestinian who left the country. Uh, so there's Christians and Muslims in there, and the Christian presence would always been there. But sadly, because of the whole situation, uh, the presence from being almost 30% to now going to 1.5%. Mm. Because a Christian fall kind of between all the conflicts and, and, and everything happened, you know, where do you belong? And, and one of the reasons it did not help the Christian is, is Christian Zionism. Mm. Because what a lot of Muslims see is Christian in the West talking about how God gave the land as if God was a real estate agent to the Jews, and, and he just gave it to them to, to use, and that we worth nothing, that we, we, we are, you know, we could be killed, we, we shouldn't even exist. Mm. Uh, and that have affected the presence of Christian. Luckily, there's a lot of um, churches that is stood very strong saying, we don't want people to leave. Even Yasser Arafat, at the time when he was alive, he, he begged the Christian, he said, please do not leave the country. Yeah. Your presence is very important. And uh, thankfully, there's a lot of churches who are trying to help Christians not to leave and to stay and prosper in the area. And uh, uh, like the Anglican Church in Jerusalem, one of them, the Orthodox, the Lutheran, uh, you, you know, the Evangelical Church even, uh, this is something they're trying to do to help the Christians stay. So Christians have been there all the time. Sadly, evangelicals sometimes do not understand that. I, I mean, I, I'm sorry to mention one of the organizations, the Christian Embassy in Jerusalem, the National Christian Embassy in Jerusalem. In an interview with one of the directors, he said those Christians in the land who call themselves Christian, it's like he became God to know if I was a Christian or not. <laughs> uh, you know, one time they, they were uh, putting flyers saying, if, you re if you're a true Christian, you believe in God. You should give your home to the Jews because that's what God wants you to do. Mm. It just doesn't make sense. And so a lot of the Muslims see the Christians as the Western Zionist Christian. And that's really affected our life. It affected the ministry. It affected the reputation. Luckily, we have amazing people in, in the church there, people who are willing to speak out, church leaders, uh, priests, vicars, pastors, who will talk and show how they belong and they believe in justice and they believe in peace. So the Christian brethren is very important for the land. And Muslims know that. And they love it because they know that it's important to have presence there. Now, of course, you're going to have minority who are, you know, short-sighted. But in general, they know the importance. They know the importance of having 
the Christian presence. Mm. So we don't want them to leave. We want them to stay. And people ask me, why did you leave? And I say, well, the only reason I left because of the situation, but actually the only reason I agreed because I'm still working to support the Christian presence in uh, in the Holy Land and in the Middle East, because that is very important too. Exactly. Exactly. Tanas, you, you mentioned um, Christian Zionism. Now, perhaps many of our listeners have no idea what you've just said. Um, uh, what, 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 is, what is Zionism and, and, and why, is it, why is it, what do you mean Christian Zionism? Uh, can you tell well, us a little bit about what, what, what that is, what that idea is? I mean, there's different kind of Christian Zionism, but like, there's from very extreme to moderate, but even the moderate are sometimes not very helpful. So Christian Zionism, they believe the land belonged to the Jews only. And therefore, whatever Israel does to the Palestinian, it's okay. That's part of God's will. God gave the land. This was the promise that he gave to Abraham and Isaac. And that's all they could see to the Jewish people. Uh, and they cannot see anything else uh, with that. So they will support building settlement. They will support bringing Jews back to the land. Uh, they are happy if the Palestinians get kicked out. Um, even if we don't exist, I mean, just recently, just with all the problems, one person, one, a pastor from Texas, wrote back to me because I asked him to pray for uh, the Palestinian and, and for pray for peace. He wrote, well, Palestinians should be eradicated. I don't know how you say the word. Yeah, it, it just, and he's calling for genocide in one way or another. Uh, he even criticized my last name. He said, whoever, how you spell that name. I mean, you see how racist these people can be. And they've never been there. They've never been in my shoes. They do not understand the situation. All they see is black and white. Either you support Israel because God will bless you, or that's it. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's all they see. And so that's what Christian Zionism have done. There's a lot of good books to read about them uh, if you want to read. If you're an academic, uh, one person called Stephen Sizer, he wrote a book uh, about uh, Christian Zionism. Uh, then if you want to have something also tell you the, the story of Palestinian, how Christian Zionism have affected them, it's called The Other Side of the Wall by Munder Isaac. Uh, it's a very good book, very easy read. It just tells you the story of every Palestinian Christian and every Palestinian living in the land uh, mm. and explain about what our hope is. Because a lot of people think we just want to get rid of the Israel. It's not true. It is not true. Some of my best friends are Messianic Jew, and some of them are Israeli. Uh, it's not the way it's say, but, but sadly, people who live somewhere else in the comfort of their home, comfort of their uh, very lavish life, uh, they could judge and just only see that we are terrorists, we are bad. They don't even know that we as a Christian exist. Every time I mention I'm from Palestine, they ask me if I'm a Muslim or a, or a Jew. Uh, you know, it just doesn't make sense. And so do your research in that part. Exactly, exactly. No, that's, um, unfortunately, I did see uh, the comment from the our, our Christian pastor <laughs> in Texas. <laughs> I did see his comment to you, Tanas, and it was, it was crazy. He did, he was calling for the eradication of Palestine because they are Israel's enemy. And... And unfortunately, like you said, Christian Zionism, it is based on lots of Old Testament prophecies of, of you know, if, uh, if you support Israel, you'll be blessed. And if you are against Israel, you will be cursed. Um, no. Based on the old promises of the promised land uh, to Israel. Um, but, and, and, and like you said, Zionist, Zionists, they think that the promised land should be given back to Israel. But unfortunately, I mean, we could get in this, perhaps this is for another podcast, Zionism, but just very, very quickly, um, the original promised land to Israel in the Bible was from uh, the Mediterranean through to the... Um, from the river to the river. Yeah, from the river to the river. But you see, yeah, yeah, so a few points to look at. One, uh, what's the Bible is all about? Right. The Bible is about Jesus, not the piece yeah. of land. One. The second one, why would God uh, promise a piece of land? He's talking about the promise of the kingdom, not just a piece of land. Yeah. Third, how do you define who's Jewish? Right. Uh, now, according to Israel, if your mom is Jewish, you're Jewish. 
If you're dead, you're not. According to the Bible, it's not by circumcision, it's by righteousness. Mm -hmm. According to Ezekiel, people who lived in the land, they become part of the tribe, they become part of the inheritance. According to the New Testament, we are grafted in. If we are grafted in there, then we become part of it. So how do you define that? How do you define it? It's very important. Um, you, you know, people need to get out of this thing. And, and let's let, let me give just this scenario. Do you believe God can do it? If you want to give the land to the Jews, can God do it? Of course he can. Mm. Did God ask you to help him do it? No. God asks you to do mission. God asks you to reach his people. God asks you to stand for justice, for advocacy. Look at the Great Commission. He did not ask us to help God fulfill his promise because God will do his promise because he can do it. Mm. So why worry about the end time? Why you want to bring the Jews back so Jesus will come back sooner? Mm. This is not for us. God said, watch and pray, preach the gospel. I'll come like a thief in the night. And I think this is what they need to understand. If you love Israel, wonderful, pray for them. I pray for them. If you love the Palestinian, pray for them. Yeah. This is what you need to do instead of worrying about wanting war, wanting occupation, wanting to get a piece of land for, 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 the, for the Jews. That doesn't work. Mm. Exactly, exactly. And if you really wanted to give back the whole of the promised land, you'd have to include Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Iran, <laughs> and Jordan. Good, yeah. good luck with that. And also, just to finish off, perhaps this this bit on Zionism, um, we fail to to realize that actually the way that Scripture interprets Scripture. So a lot of those prophecies in the Old Testament. The Bible says that they have been fulfilled. They are not still yeah. to be fulfilled. Um, Israel received the promised land, but then also God took much of the land away because of their disobedience to him. Yeah. Um, and, and also, you know, uh, the descendants of Abraham will be as numerous as, as the sand, you know, the sand and the stars. You know, that, that happened. The Bible is very clear that that's, that that happened. And just like you said, the Bible is a story of, of, of Jesus and of his kingdom. And, and the, 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 the Old Testament nation of Israel was a way of bringing his kingdom about. And, and I would say, and obviously during this podcast, you know, these are our views, me and Tanas. Um, you know, I would say that, that Israel is, is the church now. It is the followers of, of Christ. Um, and I suppose in some ways, if you, if you think through that kind of American foreign policy, sometimes our Christian Zionism of wanting to, to give back this land, then we will support Israel of today in everything that they do, because that's what the Bible says, isn't it? We should support Israel. So we, we will support them growing beyond those boundaries set by the United Nations, you know, decades ago, and we will support them taking more and more land back from the Palestinians. And eventually, you will have to support them in rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, which will involve uh, demol demolishing the, the second most holiest site in Islam, and you will start the Third World War. But if you if you if you talk to many people, that's what they want, just like you said, because it's all about the end times. They think that doing this will will make Jesus return quicker, because that's what Revelation is all about. Yeah, and, and building the temple, the area of building the temple. What was the temple purpose in the beginning? Right. It was to do sacrifice. Yeah. But then we had the, the 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 main sacrifice, the Son of God sacrificing for us. So we don't no longer need the temple because that's already been done. So the purpose of building a temple it doesn't just make sense. Why you want to rebuild it? Because of Jesus, yeah. what Jesus did. Uh, I, I myself, people ask, you know, there's different theology, and, and people say, what kind of theology are you know? Uh, of course, you get accused accused very easy by being replacement theology as soon as you say you're Palestinian. But as soon as to say, I, I, I love the, uh, I, I'm pro-Palestinian. Uh, and, you know, there's the covenant theology. Uh, and I actually, many Palestinians believe inclusive theology. Mm -hmm. And the inclusive theology idea, we were included in the promise. Mm -hmm. 
Exactly. We are all into it. Those who believe. So you have the right as much as I have the right. Because they're not talking about a peace plan. They're talking about the kingdom of God. Yeah. So when you are enclosed, enclosed in it, I think we didn't, that's what you call enclosed theology. Now God may use the Jews in a different way. Wonderful. As he's using me in a different way. He's, he has for each one of us a specific role to do. And we need to embrace that and do it. Mm. And, and, and the main thing the Bible say, you know, go there, preach the gospel, starting in, in, in Judah, Samaria, and the rest of the world. That's what we need to do. Exactly, exactly. It's interesting, Tanas, that here in Brazil, um, a lot of the evangelical church are quite influenced by, unfortunately, some of the kind of, what I would perhaps say, the kind of more right-wing American, unfortunately, evangelical theology, which is quite full of of Zionism on different levels, and and so quite a lot of the Brazilian churches will have Israeli flags in them. And the menorah. And always, yeah, and I always wonder why have we, you know, why do you have a flag of a 1948 country in your in your church? And even you know, in São Paulo, which is one of the biggest cities in Brazil, biggest cities in the world. A, uh, an evangelical denomination have actually rebuilt, done a replica of the temple in Jerusalem. They've done it in Sao Paulo uh, because they think that by doing that, God will bless them and bless them even more. And they even say that, you know, one day this temple will be rebuilt again in, in Jerusalem. Very, very dangerous uh, theology there. And and building yeah, idols. Worrying. Exactly, building <laughs> idols. We could get into all this, yeah. The Bethlehem Bible College wanted to sing into in, in Brazil. We were invited a long time ago to sing in Israel. And in Brazil, and every church they went to, uh, they treated and they thought they were Jewish. And even though they know they're Palestinian, so they had the Israeli flag. Uh, I, I've been speaking at churches where they, they put the Israeli flag for me. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, give to Caesar what to Caesar, and give to God what to God. Sometimes we need right. to separate that and, yes. and work, yeah, on it. Yes. So yeah, well, Amen. <laughs> so Tanes, perhaps we'll leave we'll leave the uh, the the Zionism behind, <laughs> thankfully. Right. But unfortunately, that you know, we're going to move on now into perhaps what what should be a Christian response to. To what is currently happening in the Middle East. And, and unfortunately, what seems to be the default Christian response is, is quite, it's, it's, it's Zionism. And diff, we've said there's different levels of that, but I think, you know, even, I'll do a bit of confession time now with you, Tanas, that even me, when I was growing up in, in a church in England, like I said, we didn't really hear much at all, even within the church, about, you know, the the, the, the history of Palestine, it was all about Israel. And, and when I heard the word Palestine and Palestinians, I thought about the Philistines in the Old Testament and how the Philistines were always the enemy of God. And suddenly, for some reason, that kind of, that kind of view just was grafted onto the Palestinians of today. And I confess that, and that is wrong. And I am sorry for, you know, for thinking that when I was... Uh, when I was younger. So I suppose at the moment, the, the Christian response is, is quite Zionism. It's praying for Israel. They are, the, they are the, the God's chosen people. We need to pray for them. But perhaps we can talk a little bit about what is the, what do you think is the authentic Christian response? What should we be, be doing? Uh, I, mean, I mean, thank you for sharing and thank you for telling me what, how you felt. Uh, one important part to remember is the myth. It's actually the conflict is not uh, 2,000 years old. The conflict has only started um, uh, less than 100 years. Um, uh, well, 70, actually. And, uh, well, actually, if you want to go to it, it's 1948 when it really started officially, because before it was the West who treating persecution. They are Jews. It wasn't the Arabs who were doing that. So so that's one, one thing. The other thing is um, mm. uh, Christian uh, um, brain or, or standing for Israel uh, it, what bothers me a lot is when people say we stand for Israel. Because when you say I stand for Israel, that means you agree with everything they do, bad or good. Now, look, criticizing Israel when they do something wrong is not anti-Semitic. Exactly. It's like me, if I don't agree with Boris Johnson here in the UK, that, that doesn't mean I'm anti-British. Right. 
I, I don't agree because I care about this country because I live here, this is becoming my country. I want the best for it. And if you love somebody, it's like if you have kids, children, you punish your child for doing something wrong, not because you hate them, but because you love them. Yeah. So, so, so it's very important when people, Christians say, but stuff I stand for, what are you actually standing for? Mm-hmm. Are you agreeing with all that's happening? Yeah. Then we say, I pray for Israel. What are you praying for? Are you praying that they know Jesus or only you praying for their protection? This is yeah. what we say, you know, this is passive love. Because if you really love them, then you need to tell them about Jesus. Yeah. So you have that problem. Then don't forget about the advocacy. Don't forget about just Because for, for Israel, for the Jews to live in peace, Palestinians have to live in peace. Mm. And vice versa. We need yeah. to work on both these. We need to be praying and working for peace for both sides. You know, the conflict has taken so many lives on both sides. Mm. And we don't want that to continue. As Christians, we need to be the advocate for peace, justice, and love instead of hatred, anger, and taking side. If you have two child and they fight, you don't tell one, I love you more than I love your brother. <coughs> you may get upset at one of them, but you're not going to tell them, hey, I love you more than your brother. And I don't think God would do that because I'm a Christian as a Palestinian, and there's a, a Jew who, a Messianic Jew, believe in Jesus. God is not going to say, I love you more than this person because God is not that guy. That's the way. We are all special for it. So what we need to do, we need to, we really need to stand for peace. Praying is wonderful, but we need to do it in action. Prayer is an active thing. It's like praying for your neighbor to get saved. That's wonderful. And you never even share your faith with them or you ne- they, they, they don't even know you exist as a Christian. I believe in prayer, but I also believe that we need to do something about it. So at these times when things are bad, instead of taking sides, let us really seek peace. Let us influence our government to take a stand. England have a role to play. America have a role to, uh, to play. The, the United Nations, which now claim, well, we have no power in conflict, are the one who started give uh, the state. So yeah. we need to take a stand. We need to do something because it's the more life are lost, mm-hmm. the more radicals you're going to have. I mean, just think the recent event in Gaza. Yeah. The average age is 17.5 years old. Wow. Those people have never met a, a Jew. They only met soldiers. They never met an Israeli. They only met soldiers. And all they know of soldiers is fear because that's the only thing they know. So with all the bombing and all the killing, they lose family. What do you think these kids going to grow up to be? Peaceful or radical? Radical. See, violence creates radicalism. When you punish like that, when you, when, when you hit a whole building with, with the people living in there, when you mm. get the, rid of the water sources, when you stop the electricity, not going to help. I'm against violence on both sides. I don't think violence is the way. Mm. But we need to speak out for things that are wrong. Yeah. You know, the ethnic cleansing of Jerusalem, you know, taking the Palestinians out of their homes, it's not the right thing. And everybody knows that. Yeah. But Israel have... What they call the carte blanche to do whatever they want because nobody is daring to say something to them because they're afraid to be called anti Semitic. They're afraid because of the guilt of the past. We as Christians need to stand for peace and justice. We need to be advocate. We need to be strong about it and push our government to do something about it because that will stabilize the whole Middle East. Amen. So instead of instead of Christians inflaming uh, both sides by through our words by saying we support one side rather than the other, we should be working for reconciliation, for peace, for justice on on both sides. For uh, sure. Amen. Amen to that, Tenas. Tenas, uh, perhaps as 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 a way of finishing, you've you've already mentioned a few uh, resources, a few books. Um, if somebody is interested in knowing um, a little bit more about the situation, perhaps more about the Palestinian church, perhaps someone didn't even realize that there was a church in Palestine and, 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 and perhaps they want to know more about Zionism and, and, and some of the, the more dangerous effects of that. So is there any, any resources that you could recommend to us? Yeah, there's few. Uh, one of them called Through My Enemy's Eyes. 
It's written by Dr. Salim Munayer and Lisa Loden, a Messianic Jew and a Palestinian believer. And they're sharing the story of both sides and how they see the whole situation and, and, and talks about the history uh, of the conflict and what actually happened. Um, the, the other good book, as I mentioned before, called On the Other Side of the Wall by Munder Isaac. Uh, again, it's really, you could read that book in one day. It's just amazing, just telling the story. And the most, the emphasis on that about what it, what it means to love your neighbor. Mm. Really, that's the essence of the whole thing. And it tackled Christian Zionism, it tackled about what the, the different verses that uh, are happening and, and going on. And there is a new book in America just uh, just came out by, by Colin Chapman. Um, I'm just trying to find out the name. He just uh, sent me the, uh, the message about it. Now, he, he wrote a book, Who Belongs to the Land, or Who the Land Belongs to. Mm. Uh, and there's another guy, Gary Burge, uh, from Wheaton College. He wrote also another book about it, uh, which is very important uh, to look at. But uh, let me just give you the name. Here you go. Um, it's called Christian Zionism and the Restoration of Israel. How should we interpret the scripture? Right. So those are the main one, that, and uh, on the other side of the wall, uh, and through my enemy's eyes. Perfect. Tanas, thank you so much uh, for today. It has been a real privilege uh, and a pleasure to, uh, to talk to you, to hear of your own experiences as a, as a Palestinian Christian, uh, for you to really talk into to this area, which is a really controversial area, um, but I think you've given all of our listeners and, and Christians around the world, a lot of food for thought and perhaps a real challenge to, to really examine ourselves and our response to the Middle East um, so that it can be more Christ-like perhaps, if I can challenge people. Christ died for both Israelis and Palestinians. He loves them both equally, uh, just like you said. And perhaps we need to be more intentional in the way that we pray and act uh, for peace and reconciliation rather than for uh, war, decisively and, and, and division and, and death, uh, which is what is happening at the moment. Uh, Tenas, priest, uh, thank you uh, so much. May, may peace be with you, uh, my brother. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be with you and God bless you. And um, I hope the message of peace will reach many. Hey everyone, welcome back. Uh, Andy, as I said at the beginning, really good interview. I'm really glad that you have this connection through CMS. I'm really excited actually, I think from a very selfish point of view, as you take on this new role, I think we're going to have access to lots of uh, different people involved in different parts of the world. I feel like it's going to be a great opportunity to educate ourselves about the global church mm, and about yeah. uh, the global mission as well. And also about, you know, um, many parts of the world where, where conflict is happening and just mm. getting perspectives from kind of inside of that conflict too. Yeah. yeah I think, exactly. I think it's really, it's really hard to kind of sum up lots of the thoughts I have in my head um, mm about what you guys spoke about. I think for me, one of the key things that it told me was the, the need to educate myself on, yeah. on the conflict, on the history. Um, like I said, like, as I'm listening to it, there's lots of questions to be like, hey, would you explain that to me? I think there was a couple <laughs> of times he'd say something about, oh, like in 1960 or 1950. And I'd be like, um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> And it's funny, I think lots of times we, we see things in the news, we see things in the world, and we formulate an opinion on, on what's right, what's wrong, uh, almost immediately. Uh, and, I, and I think that idea of actually stepping back and taking the time to educate ourselves, taking the time to read different perspectives and different ideas, I think is really important uh, to help us make more of a informed opinion and more yeah. informed opinion and realize that when we're like i think you said at one point it's very comfortable for us we're sitting we're not involved in the conflict we're not in right. danger 
our families aren't in danger. We're not living under any kind of um, occupation or we're not living under any kind of, you know, uh, we don't have soldiers patrolling the streets or anything like that too. It's very easy for us to sit here, look at the media pictures and then make a, make an opinion on what we, what we think should happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, and Tenas, uh, he gave us some really good uh, resources there, James, if we really want to go away and, and read up and read into the, the, these, these areas. He mentioned some really good books there, like The Other Side of the Wall and Through My Enemy's Eyes. So there's, so yeah, I think I said in the interview, I don't remember learning a thing about Israel and the Middle East growing up at school. And since yeah. then, I've realized how much Britain had the UK had an influence in the area and actually has quite a lot of guilt in some ways and culpability uh, for causing the kind of uh, problems that we see that we see today. But yeah, I just want to say thanks to Tanas again um, for his open and openness and honesty. Um, and I just really hope that people um, could go away and, and reflect uh, perhaps on on, on, on some of those things we put on social media, some of the, some of the words that we put out, uh, we really need to be um, praying for, for Israel and for Palestine, for, for justice and for peace and reconciliation in the area. And I think, you know, I'm sure lots of people will have different theological views, uh, especially around the end times and all this kind of thing. Um, but I think one thing that we can hopefully all agree on is is we do need to repent as Christians for sometimes our rhetoric and how that can really hurt and harm our Christian brothers and sisters in Palestine. Just like Tanas and that comment that uh, he was hate speech, basically, um, who was, who'd been told that actually, you know, Israel is the best and Palestine is not even a country. It's just a a group of people who need to be eradicated. That's a very strong word when you are advocating the eradication of a, of a, of a people group <laughs> that's called uh, genocide. Um, and then, and then, you know, um, uh, anyway, so I think we can all, all agree and hopefully all agree that that kind of behavior is, is wrong and we need to uh, be more careful yeah. in, in what we're yeah. doing and saying. Yeah, I think that whole conversation about Zionism is very interesting. Mm, we talked, yeah. you know, we talked about the American church with Dave the last couple of weeks. And, you know, that wasn't kind of the area. We were talking more about the culture within the church. But the, the theology of Zionism, I think, is more prominent here. And maybe yeah. it is in the UK, MD. Maybe I just was too young to be aware of it. Maybe we were just college students and we didn't care. <laughs> um, and maybe it's more more prominent than I think. And definitely in the States, I've, I've definitely come across those Zionist uh, theology a lot more. A lot of the time it's tied up within end times thinking, like you yeah. said too. Um, a lot of people seem very, very keen. Uh, they, they, again, you know, for me, my, my, my argument, my pushbacking of those, those people is for me, it doesn't line up with my understanding of, of the Bible. We've talked a lot in this podcast about being, being on mission, being disciples, uh, mm. following in the footsteps of Jesus. You know, a lot of this thoughts about, you know, bringing about the end times by reestablishing Israel seems to be based very loosely on a couple of verses in the Bible. Um, mm. But people's obsession with it seems to be leading to actions that in no way for me uh, reflect uh, the heart of Jesus, uh, that Jesus right. would have the people to. I thought it was yeah. really interesting what Tanas said about as well as about like the generations of the the, the Christian church that was in Israel, but the presence mm. that was there and how that Palestinian church has almost been eradicated by yeah. um, by the conflict um, since the 1940s as well. Mm. Yeah. I just thought yeah. there's actually a desperate need. There's a desperate need for the gospel. There's a desperate need for missionaries on both sides. Yeah. Um, but for Israel, there's a desperate need for them to receive the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the good news of reconciliation and peace, the idea of loving one another, loving our enemies, and the same in the Palestinian side too. Uh, a desperate need for, for for the gospel of reconciliation. I mean, that's that's yeah. what Jesus came uh, to do, to reconcile yeah. us to one another and to reconcile us to God as well. Yeah, so, exactly. Amen. Yeah. Um, something that really, a book that really helped me think through um, the kind of Zionism stuff was 
with Zion's Christian soldiers uh, by a guy called, I think it's Stephen Sizer, I think, or Caesar. And that was very, very interesting. I think, like you say, in the UK, um, I never saw anything explicitly, but I think there was just perhaps a very innocent um, naivety, perhaps, in thinking that the Israel of today is the Israel of the Bible. And obviously that is a podcast in itself of, 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 of is it or not, you know, is the Israel of the Bible the, the nation state of Israel today? Um, and in Brazil, um, there are definitely more American influenced to the kind of more extreme uh, versions of, of Zionism. So anyway, so, um, but I think Tanas really summed it up when he said, you know, you know, in Jesus's, you know, the great, the great commission, we're told to, to go and to make disciples and not to, uh, to try and speed up the end times by, by presuming that we need to give the whole of the promised land, which includes yeah. Iraq and Afghanistan back to, to Israel today. I don't think that's what Jesus yes. had in mind yeah. <laughs> with his great commission. <laughs> exactly. And if you're listening, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Um, Basically, what Andy and I are talking about is there are there are books in the Bible, especially the book of Revelation in the Bible. If you pick up a Bible, that is not the first book I recommend turning to. Um, the idea of Revelation, some of the books in the Bible, is they're talking about this idea of Jesus coming again and kind of restoring the world, uh, rebuilding Earth uh, and this idea of heaven being where we're, we're, we live with Jesus. Anyway, Revelation is a crazy book and it's not very clear how it looks. It's, it's, it's almost like someone trying to describe something indescribable to us. Um, so what people do is they get really obsessed with working out what do these things mean? What do these words mean? They try and, they try and um, put historical happenings now. They try and fit them in the best way they can into those kind of visions and descriptions and poetic language. And then they try and make that thing happen as, as they understand it. Um, and the, the simple argument that Andy and I are making is basically that's not what we've been told to do. Uh, yeah. You know, Jesus would have been very explicit with us if that's what he wanted us to do, but it wasn't. He wanted us to go right. and be disciples, be like Jesus to other people and, and tell them about Jesus. Exactly. Exactly. So let us, let us pray for, for Palestine. Let us pray for Israel. Let's pray for justice and peace and reconciliation to reign uh, in the Middle East. Yeah. And you know what? If you have questions from today's podcast or any feedback, you can always contact us at thefarshore at reviveinternational.net. That's uh, thefarshore at reviveinternational.net. Any complaints or hard questions, address them to James. Any, uh, any uh, compliments, uh, please address them to Andy. Sounds great. Well, thank you for listening today, guys, and we hope to see you again on the far shore. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can email us at thefarshore at reviveinternational.net. To learn more about the work of Revive International, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, revive-international.org. Please subscribe to keep track of new episodes. We look forward to you joining us on our next journey being called to the far shore.